was, am I living it? Do I live in it? So astounding. Love is an ocean, you can drown me. The sweet embrace, the lovely taste, I taste and see. I'm under grace, the place to be. It means I'll never need an umbrella. I'm cool in the cold, in the hot weather. Whether or never I ever understand I'm a man in the hands of great plans. I stand with faith and a life I never know to touch. And still I stop a clutch, but I'm like, what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the doubt for? Live to know in. This is living. The life I've been given is a gift. If I'm a living, I'm a living with the death. So what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the doubt for? And live to know in. This is living. The life I've been given is a gift. If I'm a living, I'm a living with death. Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Oh, come on, make some noise. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Yes, awesome, awesome, amen. Wow, man, good to see you guys here this afternoon. I'm Pastor Tony, I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us. If this is your first time here, we welcome you as well. Thank you for uh, joining us in worship this afternoon. Why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. So before we start our service, we have someone come up to, uh, to just give a short testimony of what the Lord has done in their life. So I would like to invite my sister Nandri. I almost called you Kelly, but Nandri Roman <laughs> up to come and share uh, what God has been doing in her life. So please give a warm welcome as she comes up. everyone I just want to encourage you this morning that no matter what you're going through no matter where you are in your life God is able right amen he's able in the bad times to bring you through and he's able in the good times to keep on blessing and his promises will endure amen I um, have been married for a little over a month and praise God no no problems and uh, it's been it's been blessed and uh, we've been uh, blessed financially. Um, I know that, you know, when we asked to be blessed, it was so that we can bless others. So I thank God for the opportunity. Um, I just want to encourage you guys with this verse. It's from Psalms 27, cha um, chapter 27, verses 13 and 14. It's the end of this chapter, and it's a really good chapter. David is writing this, but this is a kind of a self-talk that I think we can be, we can um, say this to ourselves, you know. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the last verse says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. I just think that 
like I said at the beginning, if it's a good time or a bad time, it's always a good time to seek the Lord and wait for him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come into your presence. I pray that you would just touch everyone's heart this morning in an individual, individual way. Everyone would leave this place knowing that you were here, that you are still alive, you are still real, and you are powerful. In your name, amen.
Just keeps playing. Why don't you just give him praise in your own words? Come on, let's go deeper and let's go further than just words and a karaoke screen. Make it personal this afternoon.
for my champions that day he is alive and he already knows my every need surely he will come and rescue me come let's sing that again let faith arise every voice faith arise in spite of what I see Lord I believe but help my unbelief I choose to trust you no matter what I feel let faith arise let's sing let faith arise let faith arise
there's such a hunger here today. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. God moves. If you're hungry this afternoon, if you're hungry, he's here right now. Come on. Lift up your hands. Don't let this moment pass you by. Soak it in right now. Jesus, there's some of you here right now that need a revival in your soul. Some of you need the Holy Spirit's fire, whether it's baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, whether you just need a fresh outpouring, I want you to come up right now. Come on, run to the front. If you know that you're in a new season and God is calling you to a higher level in him to go deeper, to go deeper, I want you to come respond right now to this powerful altar call. Jesus is here. The Savior is on your side. And no matter what you're going through right now in your life, whatever challenges, setbacks, discouragements, I want you to worship your way through it. There is breakthrough here right now for you. And I want us to pray specifically for two things in your life because you're going to go after God for it today. You're going to go after the Holy Spirit's fire. God, we want your fire in our soul. Let your word be like a fire in our bones that we would be weary of holding it in. The Holy Spirit's fire. Some of you need to know that God is on your side. Whatever you're facing today, all hell feels like it's broken loose against you. And God wants you to know that he's raised a standard against those things and he's on your side. So we're going to sing that song again. And I want you guys to go crazy for Jesus up here. Because I could walk through and lay my hands on each and every one of you. But guess what? The pastors don't get to go home with you tomorrow. We don't get to follow you at work. We don't get to go with you to school. And you have to make sure that you are a believer, a disciple of Jesus that knows how to pray down heaven, that knows how to worship your king and throw the mountains into the heart of the sea because it's by your faith that you will speak to your circumstance and see God's hand move on your life. So I want you guys to get ready to praise Get your praise. Get your breakthrough through your praise. That's what I'm trying to say. You're going to receive your breakthrough, your infilling by praising right now and trusting that God is on your side, that he has promises for you, and you're going to declare it. Come on. Lift up your hands all across this room. The king is among us. The king of kings and lord of lords. Woo, the one and only God, creator of heaven and earth. The Savior is for us, and His love is victorious. His love has given you victory today. Come on, receive it. Woo! Come on, shout it out. His glory surrounds us, and His fire is falling.
Hallelujah. There's miracles taking place right now. Come on. Keep praying. Those who responded, I want you to keep praying to Jesus. Believing for your breakthrough. There's miracles happening in your children's lives. There's miracles happening in your marriages. There's miracles happening in your circumstances. We believe in a God who is real. He is alive today. He is our champion. And he's won. His love has conquered. Death and hell have been thrown out. Jesus, we exalt you over every single circumstance that we are facing today. Whether it's school, our marriage, our children. Spiritually, we're feeling dry. We come to you today. The rivers of living water. Come on, lay your hands on your belly right now. Put your hands on your belly. I pray for rivers of living water to rise up, to well up, to lie overflow. In Jesus' name. Baptize your people, God. Let your fire fall down. A fresh outpouring, a fresh touch. May they know that you are on their side, that you care about every single detail of our lives. I want us to all sing this out. Just the voices. We need your revival. Come on, just the voices. Jesus. Holy Spirit fire burning ever brighter in our souls. Kings and kingdoms falling in your people calling. King of kings, we need one more time, just the voices. Jesus, we need you today. We're desperate for you, God. We're desperate for your revival in our hearts, in our land. Come on, there's more of you. Come on, let it out. Some of you guys got to cry out. Come on, we're not in a hurry. Some of you guys got to cry out to Jesus right now and not be ashamed. Bible says that we need to learn how to be still and know that he is God. 
And I feel like there's a word, a prophetic word that's going to come forth today. So we're going to tarry just a little bit longer. We want to hear what God has to say to us. just a little bit longer. Come on, some of you guys need to respond to that today, to be real, to be real with who you are before your leaders, especially before God, because he's on your side, he's there for you, he's going to see you through to the end. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you know each and every one of our needs, you know our hearts, you know our lives, and we bless your name today, oh God. And I pray that as they respond to this word, that they would repent, Lord. Come on, some of you guys need to repent today for feeling like you can't be real before God or, or trying to put on a facade or do it your own way. Come back to Jesus today. Do it His way. Receive strength from Him. Lord, I just thank you that in you there is forgiveness and you there is mercy and you there is joy. Woo! Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We bless your name today. Continue to have your way in this service and in our hearts and in our lives, God, until uh, through the end as we hear the gospel come forth and the, and the message that was prepared for today, God. We will be listening. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Please give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. He is worthy. He is so good. Woo, you guys could 
Find your way back to your seat as we remain in the attitude of worship. Praise God. It's so good to see all of you here today for our second service. We welcome you. Thank you for coming to Metro Praise International. I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. For those that may not know me, I, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And the reason why we preach the gospel message, the simple message of salvation every week, is because we want everybody to be able to have an opportunity to respond and say, I want to live my life for Jesus and hear it so plainly. So I'm going to be preaching from Romans chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. And it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Some of you guys have been set free from your sin and some of you have not. For those that have, you've become a slave of God and you reap the benefit of living a life of holiness and eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this message is for those of you guys who are not right with God. You have not been born again. You have not surrendered your life over to Jesus and have decided that he's going to be your boss. He's going to call the shots. You're going to live your life according to the, his commands as explained in the Bible. You have not been set free from your sin. If you have not said, Jesus, you're my master, I'm going to choose to live my life your way and accept him as your savior. You're the opposite of being a slave of God. You are actually a slave of the devil. And you must be set free from that. You cannot allow yourself to remain a prisoner of your sin. Because the Bible says right there in verse 23, the wages of your sin is death. That is your payment at the end of this life. And even as you go through this life, death is all around you. Your payment for living a life of sin and not allowing Jesus to save you, not surrendering yourself to him is death. But the gift of God, a gift is something that you don't deserve, something you can't earn. It's freely given. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you must come to Jesus to get to the Father, to get to heaven, you must go through Jesus. It's only by the, blood of the, uh, by the blood of Jesus that you are saved because he's the one that died on the cross for your sins. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I want you to take inventory of your life. If you know you're not right with God, you've been playing games, you think that your sinful lifestyle, he's somehow, he's somehow going to excuse you from it because you're not that bad. You're not that bad like the next person. But you struggle here and there and you just kind of want to keep asking for forgiveness every night and waking up and doing it again the next day. That's not going to cut it, my friend. You need to be set free. When you are free, you're no longer in that mess. You're set free from your sin and you're a slave of God. You do what he wants you to do. So if you want that kind of a life, if you want to reap the benefit of holiness and have eternal life, I want you to come into agreement with my prayer right now as I begin to pray for you and give your life to Jesus. God, I thank you for your word that has come forth. I pray that it will not fall on deaf ears, but that you will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Your word brings life and it brings salvation. 
Your word is powerful. And I ask, oh Lord, that people right now would surrender their lives to you. Repent of their sin. Turn from their wicked way. Turn to you, God, and be healed and be set free so that they could receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You guys can stand up to your feet. We're going to have prayer workers here at the front. They're going to make their way up here in just a moment. In just a few moments, we're going to have fellowship time where we get to hang out. They're going to be up here ready to pray with you. If you have any questions about the church, want to find out how to get into our discipleship because we're here to encourage you in your walk with God. And if you pray that prayer and you mean business with God and you want to go after God and fulfill his call in your life, that's what they're here for. So let's recite our confession of faith right now. This is our Christian worldview. This is the lens in which we see the world around us. And that's why we recite it week after week because this is what we stand upon as believers in Christ. So if you're with me, let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Why don't you shake somebody's hand, give somebody a hug, meet some people that you've never met before. Have fun.
Ooh, that's exciting. Okay, keep fellowshipping, keep talking. We're gonna fix that. Technical problems in the 21st century. It's okay, keep hanging out. They're gonna take care of that slideshow for us. How about them Cubs? Woo! That's super exciting. I'm not gonna lie, I have not watched a Cubs game or any baseball game since 2003, since the last time they were in the postseason when that fan got in the way. That was very sad, but I do love Chicago, so yes, go Cubs. They're gonna win. I watched all the postseason games except game one, so I'm excited, I'm super, super excited. So, okay, looks like everything's back to normal. Welcome to Metro Praise International. It's wonderful to see all of you guys here. Wasn't that a powerful time in God's presence? Woo, God is so good. That's why we gather together. The presence of God is so strong. When we gather together in the body of Christ, you don't ever want to miss out on church. The Bible actually says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. Okay, so that's, that's the benefit of that. So we want to welcome you to MPI, especially if it's your first time here. Keep on coming back. Invite your friends and family. Our service is here. Our Sundays at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service, so we have King's Kids in the back for our children. And then we have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. They're rocking it out for Jesus, 11 to 18 years old. If you know anybody in that age group, you want them to be here on Friday nights. God's doing awesome things in their lives. How many of you guys excited for the end of the month? Our outreach, God's presence and his presence. That's next Sunday, October 30th, both services 10 and, 11, uh, 10 and 1. Uh, we're going to be having that you know, final soul-winning summer outreach. So bring your friends and your family. Invite everybody that you know. We're going to be having a special service with Pastor Brandon Holt uh, leading us in worship with our team. So it's going to be very powerful. And Joe will be preaching a powerful message. And in that message, we're going to be incorporating a time of prayer and worship and deliverance and intercession. So a lot of stuff's going to be happening. So you want people to come and experience a move of God. So that's going to be exciting. So keep that in prayer and come expecting here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us to live our life by, loving God, loving people. Our strategy is connect, mentor, and send. The way that we connect you to the church is through our life groups. We want to mentor you here through the 101 and 201 books that we have. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism so that you can keep preaching the gospel to the lost around you. And our goal by doing all of that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Come on, we're excited about that. So look to your neighbor and say, get connected if you are not connected already. So if you turn your hand out around, you'll see the schedule for this quarter of life groups that we have. Pick one, get connected to it, be faithful. Here's a snapshot of this week's life group. Kicking it off today is our single moms. Childcare is provided here at the church today at 5.30. Tuesday, encounter prayer night. All ages are welcome, 7 p.m. here at the church. It's going to be an awesome time of seeking the Lord. Wednesday is our King's Kids Life Group, infants to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Boys Club and Girls Clubs, God is doing awesome things in their lives. We have amazing children's workers. And just a side note for this week, it is going to be our Halloween costume party for our little ones. So they're going to close it out with a bang this month and just have a family fun night. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So bring out your children. 
Thursday is our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Meet here at the church and hit the streets to preach the gospel. Every Friday we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's. The other one is at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Check out the addresses. You want to be there. It's your time throughout the week to fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord, to get refreshed with the word of God, and just stay encouraged, get connected. The next thing we want you to do is get mentored. We have leaders ready to take you through our 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. And this is done one-on-one -on -one, where you have a relationship with a leader who's going to keep you accountable and encourage you to go after God. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into our 201 class. Disciples that make disciples where we train you to be a leader in the church one day because we believe that every believer can and should be a leader so that one day you could be ordained as a deacon or an elder here and accomplish God's uh, plan and will for your life and then say send say send come on guys you slept in today you guys should be the loudest service somebody say send we want to send you out to do evangelism every saturday we meet here at the church at five o'clock five to eight we're preaching the gospel on the streets to complete strangers and some of these people you have to understand you may never see before what is going to be the thing that you want them to know you want them to know that they cannot leave this life without knowing jesus and as believers as disciples of christ it's our responsibility to go out and let people know that they have to get right with god they must be born again to get to heaven so in recap MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people, strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Amen? God is good. We're excited. We say that every week because we believe God will do it through you. Who's excited to give their tithes and offerings today? All right. We must be ready. It all belongs to the Lord. Thank you for that hand clap. We believe that the uh, scripture teaches that 10% of our total income should be regularly given to the church. That is a tithe. Uh, an offering is above your tithe. That is an amount between you and the Lord. And we, the Bible just gives a description of that as being a cheerful giver. He wants you to be a cheerful giver when it comes to offering and to be generous. And so we designate that towards mission, uh, missions and building funds. So if you guys are uh, ready, let's get into our lesson for today for tithes and offerings. You can always go to the Metro Praise Facebook page and follow along on the link there for the Disciples Giving book. Lesson one today, Overcoming Greed. This is section four. We're going to be learning all about hindrances. The definition of a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. How many of you guys know that there are things in your life that will prevent you, try to prevent you at least, from serving God and following all that he has for you? So... So the goal here is that we overcome these hindrances. And today we're going to be talking about the hindrance of greed. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to be reading here. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Number one main point from that passage of scripture is no one can serve two masters. Notice how Jesus states that the number one competing master for men's heart is money. Why? Because with money, man can temporarily act as his own God. In pride, man says, it's my money and I can do whatever I want with it. And that is a very dangerous place to be. And when we withhold our tithe and we withhold our offering from the Lord, that is what we're saying. I'm in control. I'm my own little small God, lowercase g, and I'm going to call the shots. Number two, greed is valuing money above God's word. Many people think the sin of greed is just when rich people act wicked to get more money. 
for example, crooked politicians, dishonest businessmen, perverse entertainers, etc. However, according to the Bible, greed is whenever we choose to value money over God's over keeping God's commands. So you see here, the number one thing in our life, the number one priority should be following God's commands. No matter what it costs us, no matter what we have to give, it's following God's commands and filtering our life through the fear of the Lord, not for our own selfish gain. Number three, serve God, not money. When God is your master, money will work for you. However, if you make money your master, you will not be able to serve God. Therefore, obey God's commands concerning your finances, because as Christians, you don't want any type of hindrance to come in between you and God and what he has for you to do on this earth. In summary, overcome greed by making Jesus the master of your finances. And here are three ways you could apply this lesson to your life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Number two, Repent if you have not always obeyed God's commands in your finances. And three, make Jesus the master of your heart and wallet. All right, I like that one, heart and wallet. All right, let's confess this new confession over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Please stand up with me as we prepare to give to the Lord our tithes and offerings. Tithe is 10% of our total income. Offering we designate towards missions and building. You could be very specific on the envelope about the exact amount that you want allocated towards each category. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry today for that. And number four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this together. Philippians 4:19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your abundant grace and provision in our lives. I ask, O oh Lord, that the hindrance of greed would be something that we would put under our feet, that whenever we feel it creeping up, Lord, that we would trust you in our finances, uh, decide that we're going to keep your commands over following our own selfish gain. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless your people, give them favor, God, on their jobs, and I pray that you would meet their needs like your word says, according to your glorious riches. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
All right. How many are ready for the life of the party? Amen. Open up your Bible with me to John chapter 20. We'll get to John chapter 2 here in just a moment. Open up to John chapter 20. I got a great verse I want to show you guys. Thank you for coming here today. God is good. Second service love. Got my love for the second service peeps. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you're here. Come on, tell them like you mean it. We are going to look at this awesome passage here, John chapter 20. We're going to be learning about life of the party, but I want you to see the beginning of our sermon series here on the seven signs of John. So John wrote his gospel with seven signs so that we might believe in Jesus. Now, we started the book of John in chapter 1, so we did a good introduction. So uh, if you have been here for the last couple of weeks, you've really got to understand what the gospel of John is about. It starts off with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Thank you. Now we're going to move into these signs. And I want to show you at the end of the book why these signs are so important because at the end of the Gospel of John, he tells you why he wrote the book with these seven signs. Look at John chapter 20, verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. I'll have it on the karaoke screen as well. But if you're there in your Bible or smartphone, somebody say, I'm there. All right, let's have some fun today as we get into the Word. Here Jesus said, or rather John wrote, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So there was many other signs that he did than the seven that we'll be studying. But John highlighted seven, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, the seven signs that John did write about are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so why did John give us these seven signs? That we may believe that Jesus is who? The Messiah and who else? The Son of God. Why did he give us signs? That we may believe Jesus is the Messiah. It's right up here. It's right up. Do you want me to just to highlight? Are you guys getting so lazy now that I have to like highlight the very word? Here we go, guys. You up this afternoon? Come on, somebody say, I can do it. There used to be a time when people learned from the pastor and then he didn't even have a screen behind him. They could hear it because I've been saying it to you. He wrote these things that they may believe that Jesus is the and the Son of God. Thank you. And by believing that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, what shall they have? That they may have life. Everybody say life. Thank you. So when we look to this passage, we see the very reason for John writing the book and telling us these signs. Now, this is where we have to understand the difference between Jesus and every other religious historical person. Muhammad was a religious historical person. Buddha was a religious historical person. Much of Hinduism, not so historical. Religious, not historical. Chances are Christian and never existed and all of the other people they talk about. But religions have their figures that were historical. And there are many of them out there. Some of you don't know of the less popular ones but there's a religious historical figure in the uh, Baha'i religion known as the Bob. Anybody here is the Bob? It's not B-O-B, -B, it's actually B-A-B, -B, and it's pronounced Bob, the Bob, and he thought he was a you know, Messiah-like figure. There's been a lot that have come uh, in America, actually. You know, Joseph Smith of the Mormon faith was a real person that said he saw uh, Jesus and all of these revelations, and there's been a lot of people that have claimed in religion 
and they were a part of history that they had a special connection to God. But we see here that John is treating Jesus differently. Not only at the beginning of the book does he consider Jesus to be God, but at the end of his gospel, and you got to remember gospel means good news, and there's four good news messages in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them talking about the good news of Jesus. He tells you, John, here at the end of his letter, I am writing this to you that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And so I want to ask you a question. When you look around your culture today, do you see people really believing Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? Maybe there's some nominal Christians, some Christians that say, well, I go to church on Christmas and Easter and they're creatures. But when you hold their feet to the fire and you say, do you believe Jesus walked on water? Do you believe he died for your literal sins? That means if you don't have him as your savior, you're going to go to hell. Do you believe that he ascended to heaven on a cloud, will come again on a horse, judge the land? Then they're like, whoa, hold up, hold up. I don't know if I believe all that. I just believe in God. And then you'll say something probably to them. Well, the Bible says this is who Jesus is and then they'll report uh, say back to you they'll say well you know I don't know if I can believe the Bible because men wrote the Bible you ever heard any, anything like that been in a conversation like this okay well John's anticipating times like this to come and so this the first thing when someone says I don't believe the Bible because it was written by men you can ask them do you believe your math book uh, that was written by men. Just because something was written by a man doesn't mean it's wrong or written by a woman or a human being. Human beings can be right too in what they write. If I write 2 plus 2 equals 4, is that right? Did we need an angel to write that down for it to be true? Did we need an alien to write that down to be true? So the very first thing they try to say against the Bible, well, it was written by men. Go, yeah, I believe that men wrote the Bible. It wasn't angels or aliens. But what the men wrote, was it true or was it false? That's what we need to look at. Was it true or was it false? And here's the thing. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah, and that's a big word some of you don't know. It's the same word for Christ. Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah, Christ, same exact meaning. It means the anointed one. This is the promised one the Jewish people were waiting for for 4,000 years. 4,000 years of human history passed from Adam and Eve to Jesus' time. And there was lots of prophecies. The most famous is Isaiah 53. And I challenge you to do this one time if you want to be sassy with an atheist or someone who says, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in all that Bible stuff. It was written by men. Just open up to Isaiah chapter 53, read it out loud to them, and say, who is this talking about? Surely he bore our sorrows and our griefs. He was stricken by men. We did not esteem him. He did this for his people. All of, Read the whole thing and ask him, who's that talking about? And when they say Jesus, go, that was 600 years before Jesus was ever born. This was written about him. Prophesy much? Believe in prophecy? Hello, this is not a man's way of doing things. It's a God way of doing things, speaking the future before it is. So you can just show them that. But there was many more prophecies, even as a matter of fact, in the Garden of Eden, when uh, God spoke to Eve about the curse that she would have and pain and childbirth. But she said her offspring would then crush the, uh, the serpent's head, but he would sting her, uh, the offspring's heel. At the very beginning, we see the first prophecy of Jesus the Messiah all the way through 4,000 years of human history. Are you listening? Now watch this. Watch this. John is saying to you, for you to believe in Jesus, it's not just having faith in faith. 
Sometimes people think religious people have faith in faith. And I do believe there are religious people like that. That's more superstition. Throwing a quarter into a wishing well, hoping things will change. Christians do not have faith in faith. We have faith in reason. We have faith in evidence. And we have faith in the literal person of Jesus. Reason evidence and the person of Jesus. Let me help you understand this. When John is writing his gospel, he's not saying, I believe that Jesus is this person, and therefore by believing that Jesus is this person, it makes him this kind of person. Like my belief somehow changes him. That's how people think we are as religious people, that our belief is changing the circumstance. No, what, what John is using here as a belief in Jesus is literally an acknowledgement of actually who he is. So whether we believe Jesus is the Son of God, he's still the Son of God. Whether we believe Jesus is the Messiah, he's still the Messiah. Do you get the difference? Whether you have faith in him or not does not change his identity. Let me give you an example. If you have faith in me as your pastor, you're going to come here and trust me as your pastor to do X, Y, and Z as your pastor. But just because you don't trust me as your personal pastor doesn't mean I stop being a pastor. Do you understand the difference? We can have faith and personal faith towards Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, and things happen. Sins are forgiven. Lives are changed. But, because, but if we disbelieve and stop uh, trusting him, that doesn't mean he stops being a Savior. It doesn't mean he stops being who he is. Does everybody get that? No? Do you need some more help on identity? Jesus is who he is whether you believe it or not. But John says, I am writing these things about his signs so that you can believe, so that you have evidence, so that you have reason and evidence in the person of Jesus. And so here we go. Was Jesus a real person? Absolutely. All of history agrees that Jesus existed. Atheist, Jewish, Muslim, it doesn't matter who you talk to. Scholars at U of I, scholars at UIC, all historical data points to Jesus existing. Not a thing to be debated. As a matter of fact, they brought Bart Ehrman on, uh, Bart Ehrman to a show. He's a radical skeptic of a lot of Jesus's claims, but he has a lot of degrees, one from Princeton, all of these things, and these atheists brought him on, and they were trying to propagate the myth of Jesus. They were trying to believe as mythicists that Jesus didn't exist, and, and of course, Bart Ehrman's not a Christian, but he said, you guys are stupid if you believe this. Jesus existed. He is the most attested person of history. There's no doubt that he existed. Let's not go that far into folly. He, as a non-believer, said that to other atheists because to deny Jesus' existence is to basically throw out all of modern history. If we don't know Jesus existed, we don't know Caesar existed. If we don't know Caesar existed, we don't know anybody existed. Are you listening? As much as we can know anybody existed in history, Jesus existed. And guess what is the other historical fact? That is as sure that he existed. As much document, as much attestation. What is that secondary fact? That he was crucified. No doubt, no doubt, he was crucified, crucified. The records show this. Roman historian, Jewish historians, Christian historians, all the way back, no other possibility. Jesus was a man, and he died. But here's now the problem. What happened to him? We don't know where his body is. What happened after he died? The only history that we now have that we can go back to and see what happened to him is his disciples. 
They say they saw him, 500 of them did. They watched him eat with them. He then ascended to heaven, said that he will be back. And now these disciples wrote their letters. And these disciples died not just because they believed one day they would see Jesus, but the disciples died for the claim that they had already seen the resurrected Jesus. Do you understand the difference? Many good people can die for good causes, saying, well, if I die in this war, I hope to have a better life for my family or for my country or maybe a religious person if I blow up myself in this building here or in a plane whatever maybe I'll go to paradise that was not why the Christians were killed they were killed based upon their testimony saying I saw the man you killed and where did they make that testimony at where did they make it at did they go to India and start saying there was something that happened over here in, in Israel and we're going to tell you about it no they went directly right into Jerusalem to the very people who had had killed their Lord and Savior and said to them, read the book of Acts, we saw him raised from the dead. And because of that, they killed our disciples. Not because of the hope of one day seeing Jesus, but because they said they had already seen the risen Jesus. Now John writes this gospel to give you signs, to give you evidence to put your faith in Jesus. It's not irrational to put your faith in the creator of the universe. It's not unreasonable to think that he could come in the flesh and walk among us and then to do these signs to show us who he is. That is not unreasonable. That is not irrational. That is the most rational thing to do. If God came in the flesh, wouldn't he be able to walk on water? Wouldn't he be able to heal the sick, raise the dead? And wouldn't he say things about himself and prove it by what he would go through to show us who he was? If he said, I'm going to die for your sins, raise on the third day, and then he dies for sins, raises on the third day, shouldn't you take that person's word serious? So faith is not faith in faith. Faith is faith in God. And God gives us evidence. God gives us reason. He gave you your brain for a reason, my people, to have reason. He wants you to be reasonable. Now, sometimes God may ask you to stretch what is reasonable to you, but God is not crazy. He's not the definition of crazy. He is the most logical, sane, knowledgeable, wisest person you will ever meet. So when he does miracles, it's not that he's going against logic and reason he is showing you reason and logic has limitations and he can go above them he can go above the sky he can go into the atmosphere of the stars and all that we're limited to what we see on earth God can see from the heavenly perspectives so don't get in your mind that John is trying to help us have faith in faith no, Jesus is a real person. He existed. He died on the cross and John said I wrote you these things that you may believe he is what the the Messiah and the Son of God. And that when you believe in him, you may have what? Life. Okay, now most scholars believe that John used seven signs. How many signs? Seven signs to show us who Jesus was to lead up to the crucifixion. And so what's unique about this is that actually the death, burial, and resurrection is not a sign. He does not consider it a sign. Though it could be considered one, but in John's way of writing the gospel, he writes, it's not considered a sign. And so what some people think here is that because he lists out seven, that maybe he's using that to correlate to the days of the week. And since Jesus rose on the first day of a new week, Sunday is the first day of a new week, that Jesus is the new life, the new way of doing things. And if you look at his signs, you'll come out of death and you'll come into life. You'll start a new week. You'll start a new life. That's maybe the reason why 
why he chose the word, uh, the number seven, but also not just because of the week seven, and that's where we get the first number seven in the Bible is of the week, but seven is used of other good things in the Bible as well. So it's up to you whether or not you want to see seven as significant, but we can look to John's gospel and see those seven signs are there. The first one is in John chapter two, which we'll be looking at today, when Jesus turned water into wine. And John said right after all of this happened, what Jesus did here in Cana, that's where the wedding was of Galilee, was the first of the signs. Everybody say first of the signs. Thank you. Through which he revealed his what? Glory. Thank you. Everybody say glory. And his disciples believed in him. Thank you. So there's the start of the first sign. And then the last one is Lazarus being raised from the dead. And this is what Jesus said after he raised him from the dead. I did this, John eleven forty two, 42, that they might believe in who you sent or that you have sent me. Jesus said, I have done this awesome miracle, Father, so that they'll know that you have sent me. And so what I, what I pray right now is that all of us are going to get out of John what God wants us to get out of John. The evidence and the reason to believe in Jesus. And if you say, well, I already believe in Jesus, this is going to strengthen your faith to believe in him more and to do great things in your life. Because how many of you can increase in your faith, increase in your trust, increase in what you're believing God to do? And then you can use these stories to talk to your unbelieving friends and family to help them understand who Jesus is. So we're going to get into John chapter 2. Before we do, though, uh, let's look at the seven signs in summary. John chapter 2, 1 through 11 is the one we'll talk about today, changing water into wine. Hence the title of today's sermon, Life of the Party. This is going to be so awesome. You're going to love to hear about this. This is going to be great. You're going to see Jesus in a way you've never seen him before. And let me just ask you this. How many read John chapter 2 for us today? Raise your hands. Okay, about 10 of you. Not half, not even half yet. Can I tell you right, thank you for those of you who didn't. I wish I would have came here with a stack of 20s just to bless you guys. <laughs> Let me just show you right here. John chapter 2 on my audio Bible. How long do you think John chapter 2 is to listen to? How long do you think it is? Do you think it's three and a half hours, how much time we spent watching the Cubs last night? No, it's not that long. Do you think it's two hours, the length of your favorite movie that you watched a couple days ago? Is it a half hour, the length of some of you girls getting your hair ready this morning? Three minutes and seven seconds. For you to have done what your pastor asked you for your own benefit, it literally would have taken you three minutes and seven seconds. Well, Pastor, I'm not a good reader. Well, can you listen? All you would have had to have done is gone to the audio Bible, push play. My audio Bible's cool because it's got the beats in the background. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the... I listened to the whole book of Revelations while riding my bike the other day, just on one half. I ride my bike for two hours. It's about an hour to listen to the whole book of Revelation. Now, for homework assignment moving forward, read John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Can I get an amen? 
Somebody do it, because number two, next week is healing the royal official's son. That's in John chapter 4. The next week after that will be healing the paralytic. That's John chapter 5. Then Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the fourth sign of John's gospel. That's in John chapter 6. Jesus walking on water in John, the latter part of John chapter 6 is the fifth sign. The sixth sign is Jesus healing the blind man. That's John chapter 9. And then as we just said, that the raising of Lazarus is the seventh sign, and it's found in John chapter 11. And if you do this with us, you will read the first 11 chapters of John by now to the end of the year, and you will be able to see the glory of God. You'll have greater reason to trust and believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you just want extra credit, I'm talking there's somebody here, you want to be the coolest of the cool. You want to go to another level. Like I'm saying, you take this stuff, this Bible stuff, serious. There's a great book that you can pick up, The Seven Signs, Seeing the Glory of Christ in the Gospel of John. Like always, these notes are online or on our Facebook page or website, and you can get that link right there. Let's go to John chapter 2 for the life of the party. How many are ready for that? Y'all ready for the life of the party? What a great message to talk about after the Cubs won last night, right? Everybody's partying. I'm going to talk about having a party with Jesus. And I'm going to talk about how having all your parties, Jesus should be invited. So not only should you make parties just with Jesus, but all the other parties you're doing, Jesus should always be invited. And so we're going to talk about the wine at the wedding here. Look at John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, everybody go, ah. The wine was gone. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, Jesus said, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for juice for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, how many jars are there? Six. How many gallons do they hold at the max? 30 at the max. How many gallons are about ready to get made into wine? 30 times 6 is what? 180 gallons. This is the life of the party right here. This is Jesus. Jesus ain't just bringing a bottle to the party. Jesus just ain't bringing a little case, a keg. Jesus is going to make 180 gallons of wine. Come on, somebody. Get excited about our Jesus. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. So this is like the leader of the banquet hall. You know, this is like the one who's in charge of all the food and drinks and everything. He tastes this. He brings the bridegroom aside and says, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you save the best till now. How many have ever heard the saying, you've saved the best for last? That comes from the Bible. You save the best for last. And then it says here what we have read before. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, Galilee was for the first of his signs through which he revealed his what? His glory. Thank you. And his disciples did what? Believed in him. See, did they have faith in faith? 
Were they all trying to sit around and make something happen? No, Jesus made the thing happen and said, now believe that. A lot of times we get in our mind, the Bible says faith is not by sight, but sometimes we don't think that faith produces things that we can see. And here is evidence of things that were produced that we can see. There may be things in your life that you got to have faith in that you don't see. Like I had to have faith that I was going to get a wife one day, and I had to wait 10 years, and I didn't see it. Do you understand that? But that's not the kind of faith I'm asked to have in the Gospels. I'm asked to have faith in the things that he did. He did make the water into wine. Whether I believe it or not, how many know 2,000 years ago this happened? Right? Even if all of us said, I don't believe it, how many know the people there believed it? They saw it. Right? So what we're doing is coming in line with what we know happened. And the, the object of our faith is not faith itself. The object of our faith is the truth of God's Word, that this testimony, this witness is true. This is something that did happen. I believe it, though I wasn't there. That's what I'm putting faith in. And verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. And so what I want us to think about first is wine. We can't talk about this without talking about wine because the whole entire miracle is about what? Wine. Now, there are some Christians that wish Jesus would have made the wine into water and said, don't nobody drink and have any fun here. But that's not actually the miracle. The miracle here is Jesus actually making water into wine. Now, I have to say I came from a strict uh, tradition that taught us when the Bible used wine that it meant grape juice. And I had to learn in seminary that's not true. When the Bible says the word wine, guess what it actually means? Wine. They actually had Greek words for grape juice, and they don't use it in these places. This is actual wine. Another evidence that we know that it's actual alcoholic wine is the man says after he's drinking it, they bring out the bad stuff after everybody's had too much to drink of the good stuff. Did you all remember reading that? That would make no sense if you were talking about juice. Who cares about the kinds of juice that you drink or the quality of the juice? And who would be able to drink so much good juice that they wouldn't be able to tell the bad juice anymore? It makes no sense. It's silliness to try to make juice in here. And guess what else? We don't even know. As Americans, we have to know our history a little bit better. We were a culture that participated in the prohibition of alcohol. So we are slanted towards alcohol in the church because of our forefathers' misconceptions. They thought because of the Industrial Revolution, people moving from the country into the cities, and all of these farm boys coming here and partying too much in the city, that alcohol should be done away with. And so they prohibited it, and they got to the point where they wanted to take it out of the communion. That is where Reverend Walsh, Google if you don't believe me, Reverend Walsh then invented a way to stop the process of grapes fermenting into wine that it would stay as juice. So really, grape juice did not even exist to be able to be stored. You could have grapes and grape juice, like immediately after you squeeze it, you got grape juice. But you couldn't keep it around for very long without it fermenting. Reverend Walsh made grape juice by finding a way for it not to, um, to ferment. And that was an, a modern invention to get away with alcohol. So we've somehow in our mind gotten to the point to think that whenever the Bible says wine, it really means grape juice. And Jesus would never drink alcohol because alcohol is a sin. But that's not the story of wine in the Bible. 
And I want to stop right here and also say this. I'm not encouraging drunkenness. That is a sin. The Bible is very clear about that. And I'm not encouraging underage drinking. So every culture needs to have its rules. Our culture has 21 and older. That's when they can drink in our culture. And then uh, when you drink, don't drink and drive. My sister died uh, because of drinking and driving. I've had alcoholic friends in uh, in my family as well, as, as well as friends. And so I'm not promoting any of that. But I want you to understand what wine is. Because Jesus made a lot of it, and it's part of our story. How many want to understand what wine is? So let's just go to the Bible to understand it. Well, when we go to the book of the law, uh, known as the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, everybody say Torah, also known as the Pentateuch, and Pente means five, and it's the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote these. He taught the Israelite people how to view alcohol and not just wine, because sometimes people say, well, wine's cool, but don't drink anything else. No tequila for you, no rum, nothing of that, only a little bit of wine just every now and then. But you're going to understand that what makes alcohol is ethanol. That's what makes it alcohol, and it's found in every kind of alcoholic drink. It's not like there's 10 types of alcohol. There's just different levels and proofs in what we would call alcohol. But here's another thing that most don't know. Even the teetotalers, those who don't drink alcohol are abstinent. Your body has alcohol in it right now. Google search. Your body has ethanol in it to do a part of its digestive system. So here's what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 14, 26. When you come to the temple to make your sacrifices and you're going to have a celebration at this time. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine. Everybody say amen. Or other fermented drink. You want some Patron, you want tequila, you want rum, you want fun. Buy whatever you want or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord and what? Rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Now, here's the thing that we see is that we don't know how to do this in this world. A lot of times when we talk about alcohol, what what comes into our mind? The places where alcohol is abused. We think of the parties that turn bad and two uncles are fighting in the kitchen or two aunts or something crazy or our best friend is beating up our other friend. You know, all these crazy parties and sexual immorality. But that's not how the Bible intended alcohol to be used. Here's how it's really first mentioned in a great way in Deuteronomy. When you bring your offerings to the Lord, give some to the Lord, and then the Bible says you can use other parts of it for yourself to have a feast, to have a party. And this is where we get the idea of a drink offering. Anybody ever hear that drink offering? Well, you know where the homies pour out the bottle to their friends? That actually goes back to the Bible because they would pour their liquor, their strong drink, look it up. The drink offering was not water. It was liquor. They would pour it on the altar, then place their meat, and then set it on fire. And somebody say, yummy, yummy to my tum-tum-tummy. You know what I'm saying? Put them brats in the beer and put it up on the grill, you know? That's literally the thing that they're doing. And he said you could keep a portion of it. You could use some of this money that you would have as your offering because Jesus knew that when these Israel, they had a lot of offerings that they had to keep. When they would bring all of this offering to the Lord, he knew that they would have to also prepare an offering to celebrate themselves with God in their presence. So he was like, that portion you're going to have, I'm going to let you eat it. I'm going to let you drink it. And you're going to do this as a part of your worship to me. You're actually going to eat and drink as unto me. That sounds kind of similar to the New Testament. Whatever you do in eating or drinking, do it as unto the Lord. That's what it talks about. Eat and drink as unto the Lord. And so we should not look at alcohol as a cursed substance. It is a blessed substance. How people use it can be cursed. 
Now, right here, somebody may say, well, well, are you telling me, Pastor, that Jesus made 180 gallons of wine so everybody could get drunk at the wedding? What kind of Jesus do you serve? Well, hold on. This is what I want to ask. Did, did Jesus give you a brain, a free will? He did. You can go to hell with it, can't, can't you? Jesus gave you your sexual organs, too, didn't he? He didn't take that back, did he? You got, you still, how many here are male or female? You can use those to go to hell, too, can't you? You can have sexual immorality. You can do a bunch of stuff, right? Jesus always looks at it from the perspective of, this is what I do for my glory. What you do with it now is up to you. What, what they did with the 180 gallons of wine was up to them. Did they want to drink, kick back, relax like Jesus, or did they want to get drunk like the town, uh, the, the village idiot? It was up to them, but Jesus did his part by providing the wine to drink and give them a good time. So I don't want anybody to ever accuse Jesus of making people drunk. Jesus made the wine. They got themselves drunk. Jesus gave free will. They sinned. You understand? Jesus gave sexuality and didn't make you have sex the wrong way. And I could be here all day. Jesus gave you a mouth and didn't make you say those words. It's no different. The substance of alcohol in the Bible is blessed. Let's go further on. Psalm chapter 104 verses 14 and onward, talking about God. He makes grass grow. Who makes grass grow? He, God, but that's Jesus right there, right? Jesus, God, makes grass grow for the cattle, plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. How many are glad we can eat and have food from the earth? What else does he make? Verse 15, wine that Gladdens humans' hearts, oil to make their face shines, and bread that sustains their heart. Now, right here, somebody may say, like, oh, man, if he gave every plant, did he give marijuana too? And, and, and then the answer is yes. Yes, he did give marijuana. But here's what he gave it for. Medicine, medicinal purposes, heroin, the poppy seed. All of these strong plants and herbs are used for medicine. When you take medicine and use it recreational, you're doing the thing of witchcraft because you're looking to medicine to knock out parts of your consciousness and knock out those things that God intended you to have. That's why drunkenness is a sin. But the thing with medicine is there usually is not the kind of uh, moderation that you can have with alcohol. You can drink a glass of wine and not be drunk. You can't smoke a good joint and not get high. Do you understand? There's, there's, there's a lacking of moderation. Alcohol, when done right, you can do it in moderation and have it for your health benefit. When you start using medicine, popping fill, pills, taking marijuana, there isn't a moderation. It's either you're high or you're not high or you got the whack stuff, right? The good stuff makes you high. That's why you smoke it. How many know what I'm talking about? So I say this back to people because they think, well, now we're going to smoke weed and snort coke and do drugs. No, use that stuff for medicine. Use that for medicine in its proper place, okay? And I do support med medicinal use for marijuana, you know. I just don't consider everybody smoking marijuana sick, you know. Uh, you better make sure that you really have some pain or some issues that that takes it away for. And I would encourage people to do that instead of popping all these synthetic pills because I think it's a more natural medicine. But does that mean we go around taking marijuana all the time? No. And then here's another way that it's different. Jesus never smoked marijuana, and he didn't make a couple pounds of it, a couple kilos at the party, okay. So just by way of example, I look at what Jesus was cool with. Jesus was cool with wine, and the Bible blesses wine. It doesn't start blessing blunts. Are you listening to me? Okay, I got to talk this way because I got a young church, amen? People are going to ask me. The next thing that we see here is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
So it's a blessing to have a lot of wine. If you were someone that owned a vineyard, you would have a lot of wine, or at least that would be your hope, your goal, and that's a blessing. As a matter of fact, the only time wine is really spoken of as a curse is when you abuse it and become drunk or when you have none of it. So both of those extremes are actually cursed in the Bible. If you don't have any wine, it's actually a bad thing. You're in poverty at that time. Not saying we all have to drink and feel pressure to do that, but in Bible days, if the wine was gone, there was problems with the economy, and that usually meant God wasn't blessing what you were doing. And then the other way is if you abuse it. And there are scriptures in Proverbs that talk about abusing it. Now look at Ecclesiastes, written also by King Solomon 9-7. Go eat your food with what? With gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. So I want everybody to see this today. It is biblical for us to obey the laws of our land, 21 years or older, to enjoy alcohol with our food. So today, if you want to go out to Longhorn, get yourself a drink, a big old steak and potato and bread and enjoy, that God will bless that. God doesn't bless us breaking the law, so if you're under 21, you shouldn't do it. Now, we have a young church. Sometimes there's teenagers here. Listen to me. We are not glorifying alcohol, just like I'm not glorifying sex outside of marriage. Sex in marriage, beautiful. Sex outside of marriage, damn your soul. Alcohol done responsibly, beautiful. It's a blessing. Do it irresponsibly. It will cost you your soul. My sister died drinking and driving. Some of the most stupid things I did was when I was drunk. All of these things will cost you. Don't do it that way. Don't drink with your friends. Drink as you get older, the 21-year-old thing. In our culture, it shouldn't be like as parents, we send our 21-year-olds to college and they go get drunk at a frat party somewhere doing keg stands. No, if we're going to introduce alcohol into our family, it should, uh, to our children, or, or think it's a good thing, we should introduce it at our family meals. Showing them what it's like to drink with a glass of wine, some beer, watching a game, whatever. We should show them this example instead of the worldly way. And this is another consequence of God's people not enjoying the blessing of God. Is now all we see is the world's way of doing it. There should be godly pubs. That means there should be a place where people can kick back, drink some, something good to drink, eat some food, and talk about their day. And not have to listen to vulgar music and not have to be a part of perversion. Those things are more popular in Europe where they never had a prohibition where Christians get together at their pubs, study the Bible, do that. It's part of a blessing. And right there I can hear somebody say, you mean you're going to drink beer and talk about the Bible? Yes. What else are we going to talk about? We should talk about the Bible when we drink. We should talk about the Bible every day. Why shouldn't we? Jesus, your Lord and Savior, made 180 gallons of it. What do you think he was talking about? Well, let's talk about something other than me and the kingdom of God for a little bit now. And that's where I think we get to the point where we always invite Jesus to the funeral. We forget to invite him to the wedding. As we're about ready to get into this message, we need to understand Jesus is the life of the party. And maybe it's good that I say this right now. When I say life of the party, I'm not talking about the drunk person starting to fight and babbling the whole time. I mean, let's just make sure we're using the same vernacular here. When I say life of the party, you think of the drunk of the party? I know I don't. I think of the drunk of the party as the annoyance. You know, look at this person. Oh, my goodness, what happened to you? And I don't even like being around parties that let people get drunk. If you're coming to my house, I won't even let you get drunk, right? Because I'm going to say you're cut off, right? And maybe even Jesus did that then. We don't know if anybody was even drunk then. He just said most people wait till they're well drunk to give this out. So we don't even know then if they were well drunk. The whole point is, is that we need to have the life of the party, Jesus, at every party and have him moderate us and have him bring joy to us. Because I remember one time going out with my good friend Ish 
to B-dubs to get some wings and brews, right? We're sitting there. We're laughing. We're joking around all this. A woman's on her way out. She drops a coupon on our table and says, you guys must be drinking, having a good time. Go ahead and have one on me. And it was a coupon for something. And, and we go, hey, we haven't even ordered anything yet. You see, because the joy of our heart doesn't have to come from alcohol. Notice the difference here. Notice all of the difference here. Right. He, he says that he'll uh, bless us and do all of these great things. Your wine, uh, Drink your wine with a joyful heart. You see, I'm not drinking the wine to get a joyful heart. I'm drinking the wine because my heart's already joyful. In the presence of God, I'm enjoying it. See, if you eat food to try to satisfy the longing of your heart, you're going to become obese and it will never satisfy. The same thing with alcohol. If you use it, to try to make you happy, it will let you down. Anything you will replace uh, and, and take and put in God's place is an idol, and idols always bring death. You make sports to be your idols. They'll let you down. You make your job to be your idols. Everybody get that? You make sexuality. So we're not replacing God with wine. Just God uses wine as a way to show us his blessing upon our work and upon what we do. And then in Isaiah chapter five, uh, 25, verse 6, talking about when Jesus comes to the, uh, the earth, it says, on this mountain, as he starts his kingdom after Armageddon, there's a party. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food. What kind of food? Rich food for all peoples, a banquet of what? Aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of. This is amazing. How many are looking forward to that day? Okay. And we'll talk about the difference between this day and the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the message. But there is two feasts that we're looking forward to as Christians. And if you want to hear more on alcohol, I actually preached a whole message on it one time. And uh, that was fun, right? That was a fun message. And you can check out the sermon notes as well. Now what I want you to do is to give me your attention, please, for the next few moments, because now I really want to hit on this message. I, I really, as a pastor, want to not just talk details to you, and now we all know what wine is, we all know we can pass our test. I want you to, to get, the, get the message out of this, what I think John was giving, because John said this was for Jesus to reveal his glory. Now think about this just for a minute. How does this reveal Jesus' glory, him changing water into wine? It almost sounds like it's a trick, right? You, you talk to this about, you talk to this miracle with unbelievers. Sometimes they'll think, oh, yeah, it was a trick, like Chris Angel or Houdini. They could do stuff like that. And they'll almost make it look like it's cheap. You know, like, like why would Jesus do that? There's no sick child. There, there's nobody dying. There's, there's nobody starving. There's nobody with leprosy. Like, why is Jesus making 180 gallons of wine? How does he get glory out of that? How does that make us want to believe in him? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Well, can I tell you why I believe this reveals the glory of God? It's because he's the life of the party. And I believe we need to know that in life. We need to understand we were made for more than just 70 years of working and taking care of things and building things. We were made to celebrate and have joy, nonstop pleasure in the presence of God. And sometimes we think in our piety, uh, rejecting pleasure makes us more spiritual. And that's not true. The Bible does talk about fasting, but the context of fasting is you're in sin you need to humble yourself, stop eating good food, stop dressing nice, put on sackcloth, take ash out of your fireplace, put it all over your head. You know, and now we have supposed pious Christians fasting. I'm fasting, but you don't see them doing all the other silly stuff. I don't mean silly, but being that way, you know, putting uh, ashes on their head, wearing sackcloth, because it wasn't meant for that in the new covenant. Are you with forgiveness now comes through Jesus. 
But somehow, and I'm not saying you can't fast. Go ahead and fast if you want. I'm just choosing to feast, okay? Because here's what Jesus brings us. Jesus brings us a party. Jesus is here at this wedding, and that, first of all, should just blow our mind. He made time to stop to party. He made time to do that. You could almost see, like, as they're out doing some work, that, that when he wanted to go to the party, you could almost see some of the disciples going, Jesus, we're too busy for this. I mean, they said we were too busy. He, they, he was too busy for children. You remember that, too? I could almost imagine them saying the same kind of thing, like, Jesus, we don't need to go to this wedding. We need to tell the whole world about your kingdom. We need to go cast out demons. We need to go preach the gospel. We need to do this. And I could just hear Jesus saying, we will do that, but we also need to do this. God made a Sabbath for us. God made us to rest. I could see Jesus telling his disciples that. As a matter of fact, I see Jesus talking to me like that. Because when I first became a Christian, all I wanted to, to be was a doer, a doer, a doer. And sometimes I didn't know how to be who God wanted me to be without doing things. And see, God doesn't need us to do things to be something. God wants us to be a child without trying to prove we're a child. God wants us to be in his presence and rest instead of trying to do all these things to get some blessing then to rest it's like well you know why didn't i rest as a new christian because my church wasn't big enough you know my money i didn't have enough money and you just work 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 to try to get to rest and jesus says you can be at rest right now and so right here we see that jesus is at the party that just blows our mind right there the next thing that we see is that his mother says they've ran out of wine now <laughs> Two reasons why they ran out of wine. They either didn't have enough to begin with, or these people were drinking a lot more than they should have. Either way, Jesus was cool with cluing in to what the mother was talking about. What I like about this is that it shows us the humanity of Jesus. See, Jesus wasn't always walking around knowing what the Father wanted him to do. He had to seek the Father's will. He was our example, just like us. He came as a man, so he had to hear what the Father was saying. And the Father could speak to him through other people. And it seemed like the Father was speaking to him through his, uh, his mother. And right here, I can relate to this, because when Mary says they're out of wine, Jesus is like, woman, why are you talking to me about this? My time's not here. And that can remind me of how it is in my family. Like my wife will be like, honey, we're out of milk. And I'll be like, woman, why you bring that up to me? This ain't the time, you know. I can see my attitude the same way. But then I think about it for a second and I go, oh, maybe I should do something about this milk situation. And literally, I see Jesus being that fully human. Not in sin, not lazy, but I see him being fully human. Here he needs the help of a good woman to, in, to give him the insight to what the father was saying. And now I start to think about the couple who's at the wedding, who it's, you know, it's their party, and they've run out. Whether the people drank too much or didn't have enough, I just feel bad for them. And I know you've probably been around parties like that. Maybe there was too many people. They weren't expecting. The food starts to run out. And you can see the host. They feel a little embarrassed. And you see, Jesus cares about the host. He cares about them. He doesn't want them to feel embarrassed. He wants them to know that if there's something he can do about it, he will do it. And then this is where the mother says to the servants, do what he tells you to do. And then I think about this, like, are we willing to do what Jesus tells us to do to see the miracle? A lot of us run out of things in life. We run out of our passion in our marriage. And Jesus is saying, I'll do a miracle, but show me that you want the miracle by doing these things. 
In other words, prepare the way for my miracle. Jesus could have done the whole thing by himself, but he works in tandem with these servants. And so I wonder if there's anything in our life that right now is dry, is empty. We've run out. Maybe we feel a little embarrassed, a little ashamed. Maybe we wish we had more, but we don't. And God is now saying to you and I, I will do a miracle. I will make your water into wine. I will take your ordinary situations and make it supernatural. I'll take your dry your your just the things that you're facing your stress and I'll turn them into joy but you've got to do what I say you've got to do what I say and so what, what would that look like let's say in the marriage you're you're losing passion you're losing excitement and God says I'll I'll turn that water marriage into a wine of romance marriage if you do your devotions together every night if you do that the miracle will happen you won't make the miracle happen but you'll prepare the miracle what if God says to you to bless your business? He says, I will bless your business, but tithe off your business, right? Give off your business. My dad tithed as an individual, and he tithed as a businessman. We don't teach that businesses half the tithe because they're treated differently in the Bible, but sometimes you could feel that word personally to you, to tithe off your business. And God says, I will meet you at this place if you'll do this. Because it's when the servants got that water and they drew it out and gave it to the man, that's when the miracle happened. Do you all get that? It happened when they participated with God. Another interesting thing that we see here, which I love, and Ishmael, my friend, brought out to me as we were hanging out, is that what water pots did they use? They used the sacred water pots, you know? And so you get this idea. Could you imagine being, you know, at a Catholic church and there's the holy water and Jesus saying, tell Father Tom to bring the gallon of holy water over here we're going to turn it into wine and have a party that's literally what he's doing these people use this water in these jugs to cleanse themselves and then they would pray similar to what you see muslims do muslims are a copycat religions in a lot of ways they copy pagans by having mecca where they do with the kaaba and the black stone that they kiss they copy jews by praying three to jews pray three times a day they just do it five times a day and they copy a lot of christian beliefs as well but this was a pre-islamic pre-whatever religious thing they would wash themselves and pray towards Jerusalem and here Jesus says you go get that dry religious stuff put some water in it and I'm going to turn it into wine and I just feel like God wants to mess with some of our belief systems in this way not that God wants us to be stupid and start taking the, the barrel drinking oh, I'm just gonna get drunk no but I think like Jesus wants to tell us like all your religious stuff it really don't bring the miracle you're not going to be satisfied just going to church all the time. You need the wine of the Spirit. See, like substitute the wine with the Spirit of God and see how much sense that makes now. All that we need in life, the Holy Spirit will give us, and He'll multiply it if we participate in the miracle and give up our dry religious stuff and say, God, instead of just reading the Bible because I have to read the Bible, I'm going to ask you to meet me when I read the Bible and change it into the Word of God so that it touches my heart. You know, it is the Word of God, but change it to a rhema word, I should say, that speaks directly to my heart. Because, you know, Jehovah Witnesses can read it and it not touch their hearts. Other religions can read our books they can study it as a textbook but it does it is the word of god I want to be very clear we don't change the word of god but it is the word of god but it has to become real to us transform it from black and white transform it from information to revelation and transformation amen how many have read the bible before you were a christian and all it was was information after you became a christian it became revelation you're like whoa that's in there 
Wow, anybody read the Bible like that? I was a kid in Sunday school. I can just tell you this is really for me. I would read it all the time and just be like information. But when I became a Christian, revelation, transformation. And then now here we see. We see that the man says, oh, my goodness, what is this? They normally bring out the cheap stuff after the party's almost over when everybody's well drunk. But you have brought out the best. You've saved the best till last. What does that say for me? First of all, second service, the best. Every Sunday, last service, the best. You guys are my favorites. Don't tell the first service, though. But we can see, we can now see here a revelation of God, something that's true about God is that God always brings the best at the end. He always brings the best at the end. When you first got saved, that's not as good as it gets. It's going to get better and better and better as you go on with him. That first day you got married, that's not the best it gets. That's what some people say. Oh, that's the best it's going to get. Your honeymoon after that, it's all downhill. Get ready for 50 years of suffering. That's not how it is for me. Every day it gets sweeter and sweeter. Come on, somebody. It ages like wine. See, God is telling us like how wine ages and gets better and better. That's how it is with him. Things don't go sour with him. Things don't become moldy with him. As things age with him, it's like wine. It's the good stuff. And God is telling you, don't give up until you get to the, uh, don't stop when you don't see the good stuff. So hang on till you get it. There's many things in life that don't happen immediately, and you have to be patient, and you have to stick with it, and God will show up. I waited 10 years. You know, we have a lot of young people here. I waited 10 years to get married, and God gave me the best at the last girl I dated. That was my final one. Amen? He saved the best for last. You know, and I'm going to tell that to my last child, the best for last, and make all the rest of them jealous. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, he, he does that. He has a way, God has a way of blowing our mind because we always think just like that man. Oh, give us all the best when we all get used to it and we don't care anymore, then just give us the worst. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, we think about that when we suffer, get sick. A lot of us have family members that are sick or, or we're sick and we're going to die. All of us are going to die. And sometimes we think like that, that's the worst. That's the worst. No, but God says that's the best. Because when you die, what happens? You go to heaven. Death, where is your sting? Your journey's over. I was saying to Jerry, whose brother just died of cancer, we can now go around his, you, you, you know, as she was actually, you guys can now go around his, his deathbed and rejoice and praise God. He's finished his race. The devil can't take him. Temptation is done. There, there, there's nothing more to be worried about. He has made it. He's going to heaven. And see, only Christians can say that. Only Christians can say, after their last breath, he saved the best for last. <sighs> because the next moment they open their eyes, praise God, they're in a party that never ends. They're in the Holy Ghost party. And this is what I believe God is saying to us. All of those things, I, I know I've said a lot there, but I hope that you can put it together and start to see that God's glory is revealed in the party. He shows us that he cares about us. He wants to celebrate with us. And some people get offended by that, and that's okay. They got offended by that with Jesus. When Jesus was doing stuff like this, they got offended. Look at this right here in Luke chapter 7, verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. You know what John the Baptist ate? Wild locusts and honey. 
That's what he ate, little bugs and honey. So they said, oh, my gosh, he doesn't eat bread, and he doesn't drink wine with us. He has a demon. That's what they called John the Baptist, awesome man of God. You know, he looked a little crazy, though, you know, wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, long hair and beard, and eating locusts and wild honey, all of those things. You got a demon, John. But look, this is all red letter. Jesus is talking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is like, what's wrong with you guys? We had one come fasting and only eating crazy stuff, and you didn't like him. I come to your parties. I come eating and drinking. You see me eating, you go, he's a glutton. You see me drinking, say I'm a drunkard. But he said, wisdom is proved right by all her children. And what he was saying is, judge me by my actions. That The children of wisdom are the actions of righteousness. And Jesus wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't a glutton. But he did hang out with sinners and drink and eat to the point where you could accuse him of that. Now, I used to be so religious and so snobby, you could never accuse me of that. You'd be like, the last thing I could ever accuse Joe of is a drunkard and a glutton. Because he don't like to hang out and have fun with anybody. But the moment I, as a pastor, started to drink and see this part of the Bible, and I turned that, that part of my leaf over from tradition to being more like Jesus, having a beer with Jesus, now what's the first thing they're going to say to me as a pastor? Oh, look at the pastor. He's getting drunk. There he is. He took a shot. He had a cocktail. He's drunk. Look at him. And now I'm like, okay, Jesus, I know how you feel here. All I'm doing is eating and drinking and hanging out, and now I'm a drunkard and a glutton. But you see, that didn't stop Jesus, did it? Just because people said nasty things about him, that didn't stop him. So what does that tell me? That tells me that we are to enjoy life whether people around us want us to or not. We don't need people's permission to enjoy life. Jesus didn't need you to approve of him being at that wedding. And he didn't care what you thought about him eating and drinking with sinners at that wedding. He just knew he wasn't going to sin and get drunk because he never sinned. He never sinned, did he? And so you shouldn't drink and sin ever either. You should live holy. Where are two things we can look forward to? Well, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you know that all Christians who are in heaven now are waiting for this marriage supper. That's when all the church is up there and we start to party for seven years and God starts to judge the earth down here. Trust me, you want to be up there, not down here. That's when the four horsemen of the apocalypse come. That's when the, the earth opens up and the scorpions with the men's head or demon's head, whatever, come out and start stinging you. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in Revelation. Let's put it that way. You want to be up in heaven partying. Seven-year marriage supper. And then did, did you know, as we talked about before, that when he comes down to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, to establish his kingdom, after the battle of Armageddon, what's the first thing he does? He throws a feast. That's our Jesus. And so he's teaching us here. It's okay to, to enjoy what I've given you, but look forward to the greatest blessings because we're just passing through here. And no matter how much you drink, it's not going to satisfy your soul like Jesus. As a matter of fact, the more you drink, the worse it gets, isn't it? And the, more, the more you drink, the worse it gets. That's why I want to end with the scripture. You see, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine. And that would make no sense if wine meant grape juice, because how can you get drunk on grape juice? It's the same Greek word, onos, that's used in the context of John chapter 2. It's the same word. It means the same exact thing. It's not grape juice, y'all. It's alcoholic beverage. Are you with me? 
but don't get drunk on. Now, why do you think Paul would say that? Because where is our tendency when we drink, especially when we were younger and we would drink? We drink a few drinks, feels good. So what do we think to ourselves? If a few drinks felt good, the more I drink, I'll feel what? I'll feel better. How does that work out? It doesn't. The more you drink, is it the better you feel? No, you get drunk and you get hungover and you feel terrible. But where is that tendency coming from? It's a part of our heart, right? We want more of that. We want more happiness. We want more joy. We want another World Series. One's not enough. Let's do it like the, the Bulls did. Let's do six, three in a row, then another three. Because the, the worldly appetite is never satisfied. That's why the Bible says, hey, don't pursue it that way. It's a blessing. It's meant to have its own proper place in moderation. But don't pursue your joy that way. You want to get drunk? You want to drink a whole lot? Why don't you go to the Holy Spirit and get you some of that? And that's why on the day of Pentecost, when they came down speaking in tongues and rejoicing, they thought they were drunk, but really they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The woman at the B-dubs bar, she thought we had been drinking, but I was just full of the Holy Spirit because I have the greater wine, the wine that comes from heaven. That's what we need. And so today, my friends, are there any areas of your life where you would say today, I'm a little dry in. I need Jesus to give me some wine, right? I, I don't know how you stand on the alcohol thing. Let's put that aside. Let's go to where our hearts are now. Is there anything in your life where you need the wine of the Spirit to fill you? I've already been in the first service, and we had a lot of people at these altars praying and coming to God saying, fill me up, Lord. Ta change my life. Fill me to the point where I want no more, where I can say, Lord, I am satisfied in this area of my life. I can say today that there are things that I need God more in, and then there's ways that God has satisfied me. And like, I don't need another woman. I am satisfied. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm very happy your pastor's satisfied. He don't need five or six women to satisfy his sexual desires. I don't need that. One woman, I'm satisfied. But guess what I'm not satisfied with right now? I want 100,000 disciples. And I get, I get unsatisfied. I see empty chairs as opportunities to win more souls, right? But here's where I get caught in the rat race. Less people, less happy. More people, more happy. You think that's a good thing for a pastor to go through? No, I need the wine of the Spirit to fill me up where you can't. Where, where chairs being filled and empty shouldn't affect me. Where it's the Spirit that fills me and satisfies me. Same thing on your job. You know you have uh, dreams and ambitions. Be satisfied now with Jesus, and no matter how well you make it out in that job, you'll always know Jesus is your satisfaction. Amen? Let's just close our eyes and pray about those things as we get ready to go. Jesus, uh, we thank you today that you turned water into wine. We thank you that you're the life of the party and that in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord, today would you show us in our hearts right now where we need to be filled, where we're empty, and where we're feeling a little bit um, just wore out, Jesus, and a little bit um, just tired. And Lord, I pray now you'll do a miracle. Right now in your own heart, would you pray and ask the Lord to show you where there's places he wants to fill you? Just right now, would you pray and ask him as the, the altar workers come and Stephanie's going to come up here? Would you just seek the Lord, though, first before we worship? I know in my heart the Lord already dealt with me in the first service, but I'm still open today for him to deal with me more. Lord, satisfy us. Show us where we're empty without you, Lord. Show us the places, God, that we need to be filled.
the places, Lord, where we have become empty. Think about it. Are you emptying your job right now? Like you're not satisfied? Ask the Lord to fill you up there and give you purpose. How about your marriage, your relationship? Do you need God to change your heart to really radically fill you up? What about in the way you come to church? Are you dry in the way you come to church? Empty, religious, needing God to fill you again, to remind you of why you come here, to give you that joy? All of those things right now, come on, just think and meditate on and say, Lord, show me. Show me and fill me up today, right now. The presence of the Lord is in this place to change lives just like he changed water into wine. Thank you, Lord. As you start to get those areas of your heart, that you feel that you know, you're honest, I'm a little dry in, I need the wine of God. Would you just raise up your hands just right where you're at and say, Lord, I surrender. And I'm willing to hear what you're saying to me. Because remember, it's Mary that said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now that we've come to the Lord honest and said, Lord, these are the areas we need to be filled up in, let's ask him to fill us and tell us how to be filled. For them, they had to go get those jars filled up with water and bring it to the headmaster. Listen now as your hands are raised and you're asking God to fill you. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to pray with other tongues as the Lord leaves. But as you're praying, be also open to hear what he tells you. I know for me, for the fresh wine to come into my marriage, my wife and I dedicated to doing Sunday night, I mean, a weekly devotionals. Every night we do devotionals. And God's wine began to get poured into their fresh wine, the best. I know for me as a pastor, I do everything every day with the Bible. It's like the Bible verse for this. Write a book from the Bible for this. It's like always the Bible. So sometimes I can read it as just a book, you know. So the Lord told me, don't start your day studying or doing anything. Read and meditate for yourself. And I do that before I even get out of bed. And I'm telling you, fresh wine, fresh, the best wine meets, comes to me right there through the Holy Spirit. I get refreshed in my soul, gladdened in my heart. The Bible becomes alive. It's not just a textbook for me, a how-to book. It speaks to me. A few more moments. Lord, fill me up. And then we'll worship together. But just a few moments of you praying. And if you're praying right now and you're sensing God speak to you, guess what? Those 180 gallons were meant to be shared. Just like when he fed the 5,000, there was baskets left over. Ask the Lord now to use you to bring that joy wherever you go because you're going to be obedient, right? You're going to do those things God's telling you to do. He's going to start changing water into wine, but he's going to overflow. He's going to give you more than enough. So ask him to use you on your job. Let's say your job is really a tense place. Ask God to use you to bring his joy there. You don't have to be um, religious with them. You can just say, hey, I'm coming here happy because I'm glad to work here. And after a while, they'll notice that your happiness is not just a, a shallow emotion, but it's a deep 
commitment to finding joy in what you do because you do it to God and they will begin to sense something different about you. Your family, your wife, your kids. Come on, say, Lord, fill me up to overflow. Fill me up, Jesus, to overflow. Amen. Just pray a few moments and then we'll worship together. In just a few moments, we're going to worship this song together about filling up and overflowing. But right now, put it all together, saints. Three main things to pray about. Number one, where are you empty and dry that you need a miracle? Number two, what is God telling you to do to do it? And number three, where can you pour it out? A few more moments, us and Jesus right now. You've done it over and over again. You'll do it here, Lord. Oh, you did it once to encourage us that you would do it again and again, God. We believe you're the same God of yesterday. You're the same God. You're still the life of the party, Jesus. You still change water into wine. If you believe it now, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you stand? Amen. And would you just sing this before we pray? We'll dismiss in just a moment. But fill me up till I overflow. Till I overflow. I want to run over. I want to run over. I want to run over. Fill me up, Jesus. Fill me up. Oh, till I overflow. Till I overflow. I want to run over. As you're singing it, think about what you've prayed about, where you're going to flow, where it's going to come through you to, your family, your friends, your community. Overflow. I want to run over, over and over, Jesus. Just a few more times. Fill me up. Till I overflow on my job. On my job, in my family, in my house, Lord. One more time, fill me up. So fill me up, God. Oh, yeah. Till I overflow. I want to run over. I want to run over. Jesus, we're going to close out in prayer. But before we do, if you're with me on this, just put your hand on your belly right now. The Bible says, here's your soul, you know, and just say, Lord, fill me up. Come on, till I overflow. That's where it's going to start on the inside. You're going to be so full that you can't keep it in. I'm going to ask that Brian would close us out in prayer. Brian, come on up here. You're one of the men that I know that loves the Lord full of joy. Saints, if you need prayer for joy or refreshing in any part of your life, before you go, let our prayer workers uh, pray for you, and we'll also hang out and worship. But, Brian, I know that when you got saved, let me say this, before you got saved, you used to deal with a lot of anger, right? Yeah. You were kind of like a stoner, and you weren't really a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I was a nervous wreck. Yeah, come on. But something happened when Jesus got in your heart. It, it's like... You got high on the Holy Ghost. You took a sip of the wine. You've been going to the bartender of the Holy Ghost ever since then, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Does he always just keep serving you up whatever you need? Absolutely. Brimful. 
he doesn't rip you off at like some of these lounges downtown, like $20 for a little watered-down drink, does he? Yes, no. He takes care of you. He brings the finest of wine, the best, right? And the Bible says it never leads to a hangover, does it? Right, yeah. Yeah, yep. Would you pray that for everybody here, that whatever God did in your heart to transform you, that it would transform all of our hearts and we would stay connected to the tap of heaven. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for the, for the cross, God, for the crucifixion, God, that made it possible for us, God, to experience this joy, God, and this bliss, God, that you have imparted to us, God, by saving our souls, God, by redeeming us, God, and separating our sinfulness from us, God. We thank you, Lord, God, that we can rejoice, God, with you, God, that you have made us holy and blameless, Lord. We love you for that, God. That excites us, God, to know that you call us your own, God, that you call us your children, Lord, and that you have sanctified us, God, and made us pure, God, and that you have made us brimful and happy, God, and joyous, God. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, and then slap your neighbor high five and say, get that party started with the Holy Ghost. Because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't, don't stop. Amen. God bless you as you go. If you need prayer, come up. We're going to worship a little bit. We call this the after party. Yeah, I, I want to run, run over. I want to run over. Fill me up. Until I overflow, we want to run, want to run over, we want to run over. One more time, fill me up. Fill me up. Until I overflow, until I overflow, oh, I want to run, Ask you today. hungry and thirsty for the living bread of heaven and the fresh wine of the spirit today nothing will satisfy but you Jesus oh we want more and more Jesus fill me up only you can fill my cup only you can satisfy my thirsty soul, there you go. My thirsty soul needs you more. My soul thirsts for more of you. My soul thirsts for no other. There you go. My soul thirsts for no
just for no one but you my soul thirsts for no one but you my soul thirsts for no one but you my soul thirsts for are the awesome you are the only one that's awesome enough to fill us all up all of us at one time God can be filled to overflowing all of our emotional needs can be met in your presence they can give us medication they can give us counseling oh but no one else can touch and satisfy our soul like the way you do Thank you, Lord. You satisfy. You satisfy my thirsty soul. You satisfy my thirsty soul. You satisfy my thirsty soul. You satisfy my thirsty soul you satisfy my thirsty soul you satisfy my thirsty soul oh one more time you satisfy you satisfy 